feel about that new Elton John Britney Spears song? I have not heard it. No more tiny dancer. So that's pretty good. I did pretty good. Can you put that? Can you throw it in here, Brad? Blue jean baby, LA lady. Seamstress for the band. So Elton John is retiring from touring, right? He's not retiring from like collaborations with Britney Spears or writing like songs for Sherlock Gnomes or whatever. He'll stop being retired when he continues to, you know, put floral arrangements on all of his homes and goes broke again. That's when he takes his ass out on the road. Well, um, he's got to pay those bills and those bills are many, 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 many. Yeah, I mean, you know, extravagant lifestyle, oh, right? All those feathers aren't going to pay for themselves. I heard he has like 40 houses and does fresh flowers daily in all of them. And that's how you end up having that much money and being a broke-ass bitch. Why would you do it daily? I can't answer these questions. <laughs> okay. I can't answer the questions of what crazy-ass rich people do, Corey. What if somebody missed a day? Right. I mean, that's the best part, is I guarantee you somebody's cashing the check, but are the flowers really getting there? Does his staff, like, get to take them home at the end of the day? I don't know. I, these are this is too many questions. This is the official Elton John Flower Podcast. Podcast at SidewalkFest.com. We need to know the answers. we got to get to the bottom of this. It's, one um, of, it's a true crime podcast, logistics, so to speak. The logistics of this are kind of mind-boggling. Um, anyway, what's up, Ding Dongs? Actually, this is the Side Talks podcast. I'm sorry to disappoint you. If you were wanting to know more about Elton John's flower buying habits, this is not the podcast. Instead, we just talk about movies. Yeah, only movies. Well, uh, I'm Corey Kraft. Who are you? I'm Rachel Morgan. Let's talk about some movies. Sidewalk home video. Man, sit your ass down. Ooh, I love that little Vestron video level opening. Oh, yeah. So I have one for you, Corey. Okay. This one came at me out of nowhere. You know how I'm normally thinking about what films to talk about in this segment by taking a look at Stars Hollow Video, which is the video store in Gilmore Girls. That's right. And picking a spine off the shelf and trying to go find out more. Well, I'm turning this up a little bit okay i had threatened before if you'll remember to go take a look at serial mom because in serial mom there's a video store sure these worlds are going to collide here in a second Uh so i was watching gilmore girls actually watching gilmore girls and there's a scene in gilmore girls so even beyond stars hollow there's a scene where lorelei gilmore which is the mom because i know you don't know a whole lot has actually gone out and rented a a video, I'm sure, at this point, actually, probably on VHS or DVD. It's an older show, but they also do a lot of throwbacky kind of shit, right? Sure. So, and Rory's come home. That's her daughter. And she's like, we got to watch this film together. This film is from 1980, and it's Fatso. This is the Dom DeLuise movie this where he's like- This is the Dom DeLuise movie. I feel movie. bad about my weight. I'm going to develop an eating disorder about it. So, this is, uh, this is interesting because this is all, basically, this is the 1980 version of The Whale. I guess so. Yeah. Is Anne Bancroft in this or involved with it? Hold on to your seat. I want to read you first the synopsis. Okay. An overweight bachelor, right? Uh Uh-huh. Is fat, 40, and fed up. Yeah. Which basically, that's like a younger version of me. Join the club. Am I right, folks? (laughs) And I'll start from the beginning. An overweight bachelor is fat, 40, and fed up to the gills. But when his obese cousin, Sal, 
dies at 39, he must finally come to terms with his own weight problem. Written and directed and starring Anne Bancroft. Yeah, I, I thought it was something like that. Weird. Right. And by the way, the only film that she ever directed. Huh. Yeah. What? So, okay. Anne Bancroft, of course, famously married to Mel Brooks. Yes. And so this, by the way, I will go ahead and tell you, is the first film produced by Mel Brooks production company, Brooks Films. Uh, who would go on to produce The Elephant Man that same year. <laughs> Um, two wildly Wild, different right? movies. And, uh, of course, uh, David Cronenberg's remake of The Fly. This does have a 33% on Rotten Tomatoes, so some that people high, do huh? like it. Yeah, some people do like it. But here is my favorite part about okay. it. And then I'm going to describe a scene, and we're going to say, you know, a recommendation of whether you should see this or not. I think you can see where this is headed. Uh-huh. So my favorite part about this is that as I'm looking for film connections on this film's IMDb page, it mentions that in the video store shown in Serial Mom, it is on the shelf. That seems like a very Jane, uh, John Waters thing to do. And I think the connection between me threatening to go take a look at that video store, I haven't even done that yet, and the connection between it actually being played on Gilmore Girls, I don't even need to tell you about the scene to recommend it, right? But I'm going to anyway. So the scene I've watched, I've just randomly landed on, is kind of wild. Dom DeLuise runs into a room, puts a gun to a man's head who's sleeping in bed, and begins to verbally abuse him. What? Threaten him. Yes. Verbally abuse and threaten him. And say all kinds of things like, give me your keys and blah da 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 Forces him out of bed, pushes him into the kitchen. It's during this altercation, it's revealed that the man, I can tell now, I'm sure people knew before this who have watched the whole film, but I could tell during this altercation that this man is his brother. Okay. And then his brother says something to him like, are you really going to shoot me? And so he goes, oh, you're right. Puts the gun down and gets a knife instead and starts charging him with a knife. What the Give hell? me the keys. Well, then it's revealed as we get to the kitchen that the keys are to the fridge. Oh, my God. The fridge is locked up with a you know chain link lock situation. And he says, I'll cut your balls off to him. I mean, it gets very physical here and there's back and forth and just let it be known that the fridge at that point doesn't get opened it, it they managed to he, the bro, younger brother the baby brother manages to wrangle dom deloise's character and get him to go back to bed good lord yeah this makes the whale seem tactful yeah that's completely Ugh. so in other words we recommend you see this yeah absolutely i'm gonna <laughs> find this this sounds insane yep. and deeply insensitive yes oh completely um, and i mean who's at, who's behind all this but Anne and bancroft like mrs. that is robinson that doesn't somehow that seems even less appropriate right yeah like, she's a hot-bodied lady sure what she, business does she have making a film called fat so yeah come on Anne bancroft may you rest in peace right right you're canceled r.i.p you're canceled and we've all we got another thing or two to say about you preying on younger men <laughs> That's another With thing. With your that, hot bod. Yeah, that's another thing that's a problem these days, so watch yourself. You're in trouble, girl. And now, a look at what we're watching this week. Well, Corey, guess what I've been watching? What have you been watching? You can probably guess it from the script we read earlier. So you saw Martin McDonough's The Banshees of Anna Sharon. I did. I love this film. Yeah, it rules, right? I thought it was really funny. 
And somehow a film that is incredibly sad and tragic, but at the same time really fun in some ways. I, yeah. I, when they first sent – they sent this poster to us thinking we were going to program it. And it, it wouldn't – the timing would never have worked for us this, this particular year. Uh, but I remember Sam unrolling that poster and being like, are we screening this? And I was like, based on that poster, hell no. It looks Dollsville. I'm bored already. But this is actually a lot of fun. Yeah, it's great. It's a good film. And darkly, darkly funny. So I, I enjoyed it a lot. I don't I'm, I have a whole lot more to say, except that it was surprising. I didn't really see where this thing was going. Uh-huh. I, I was kind of pleasantly surprised. I love all the layers of subtext, you know, it's a bit about toxic masculinity. And I don't know, maybe even has a bit of sort of a, a, some queer suggestions. What do you think about that? Uh, that wouldn't have occurred to me, but possibly, yeah. you know, it's it's just kind of about the monotony of of daily life and you know one man who cuts another man out of his life just because he feels his life slipping away yeah. um and he he wants to spend his life more uh in a more meaningful way but his buddy who is nice but dull objects to that yeah. and and so you have this this conflict where nobody's really in the wrong but you can kind of see both sides and it of course explodes into um, well, some pretty grisly stuff. All yeah. the performances are great. It's I mean, amazing. The the dialogue, which, you know, as you could tell by Sam and I's pitch-perfect performance, <laughs> it's really interesting and fun and, and ridiculous to, to listen to, but in the best way. Yeah. Great great Colin Farrell, great Brendan Gleeson. I love Carrie Condon, who plays um, Colin Farrell's sister yeah. in the movie. She's got a lot of really great lines, and, and Barry Keegan. Yeah. Uh, the young Irish actor um, from The Killing of a Sacred Deer and Dunkirk and stuff is pretty pretty much a joy as uh, the, the village idiot, I guess you could call him, this, this young man who um, is not – uh, he's not imperceptive. Uh, he does have some insights but um, is not taken seriously uh, in this tiny little village in well, 1923 Ireland. I love this film and the setup is – it could be, I think it could be a little hard to land on, if you know what I mean. Yeah. This one might be not the, the one that you think, I'm going to watch this tonight, but I highly recommend watching it. It's a lot more fun than you think it's going to be. For sure. And it's going to end on my, uh, spoiler alert, but I think it's going to end up on my top 10 list of the year. It's just outside of mine yeah. at the moment. Yeah. But um, a really, really good movie. It's also a great donkey in this thing. Absolutely. Jenny. So I also watched Pretty Woman. And I am here to tell you a couple of things. Okay. I had not seen Pretty Woman at least the film itself in 20 years. I more recently have seen it sort of via Romeo and Michelle because it's one of my favorite scenes, the weird pacing at the beginning of Romeo and Michelle when sure. they're watching Pretty Woman together. And I, at one point, not at one point, I guess it, we could just pinpoint it four or five years ago, had decided we were going to try to throw this on a screen for Valentine's Day. That's right. It's part of our kiss em or diss em event, this being, of course, uh, because of the way that it famously wraps up a, that was different than the script. It's a kiss em. That's film. right. I am so glad we didn't do that. <laughs> I think this film is incredibly offensive and irresponsible. I'm actually really pissed off about this movie. Wow. Yes. I think it, it is the wrong message to send. I think it. <laughs> the message was sent 32 years ago. It doesn't matter. It's in the canon. People love this thing and it's disgusting. I'll tell you why. Okay. Numerous times. When was the last time you saw this thing? When I was a child, okay. I have not seen exactly. It. So this is this is the problem. Uh-huh. It is telling young women that the 
person we should strive for if you're a heterosexual young woman, and this film assumes everybody is heterosexual, by the way. If you're a heterosexual, well, it was 1990, so <laughs> where everybody, I don't everybody, think lesbians had been invented yet. In 1990, yet. everybody was heterosexual. I'm here to assure you, Corey, that everybody was not. <laughs> I, um, I'm pretty sure lesbians I mean, weren't invented until what? Like, but I'm a cheerleader came out. <laughs> England still existed, right? Okay, so <laughs> every scene. Every scene, he tells her what to do in some way, shape, or form. I've, telling her, do not fidget and smile, happens on multiple occasions. It's super gross. And she, by the way, it's as if she's not even human. It's as if they've let a primate in the room. She's picking things up off the table like she's yeah. a monkey. It's not like a person. Like, you would think that somebody who, I, there's a way this could have been played. Julia Roberts is terrible in this there's a way this could have been played with skill where you've got somebody who doesn't have the life experience that this incredibly rich multi-millionaire has uh-huh. and is at a dinner table trying to understand etiquette right sure like you could see that that is not what's happening she's literally picking up a fork like the utensil it's <laughs> outrageous this thing uh well I, in 1990 of course sex workers famously Ate everything with their hands, right? Only. With like, their feet, basically. Yeah, forks. What forks is this? Not, a a, not, not invented until it's uh, also the late '90s when lesbians and forks right. came onto the scene simultaneously. It's nuts. It does. It does include similar to one of the Twilights. Okay. It does include an original composition by Richard Gere. That's him actually playing the piano in the dark, and it says his original composition. So there's that. Wait, how is that similar to Twilight? <laughs> is Richard Gere singing in Twilight? No, but guess who is? Uh, our Pats. Our Pats, original song by Our Pats. Oh, I remember that. He scene. plays piano. Yeah. So yeah, I'm offended by this thing. I think the biggest tragedy of all here, aside from the fact that it's really the wrong messaging for young women, just as a textbook, like Susan Faludi would be all over this bitch. <laughs> but aside from that, we know that the script was way different. We know that. And I get that it's 1990, but guess what? They were still incredibly innovative and interesting films being made in 1990. Gary Marshall is directing this like he's directing for Hallmark. Yeah, Goodfellas came out in 1990. Right. So things, interesting things can still happen. We know that the script had some, It's a, in its original form, was incredibly dark. Sure. Was incredibly edgy. And there are some moments where I can see, just I can just see it in the texture of the film, how interesting the dynamic could be in certain See in certain sections, right, and certain things that are happening, and he just takes it and buffoons this whole script in this way that is miserable. Well, it sounds like a like a Pygmalion slash My Fair Lady sort of thing, where like the, the distinguished gentleman teaches the uncouth lady how to be a, a lady of manners or whatever, um, which sounds annoying. Um, but <laughs> the American public entirely disagrees with your assessment. It propelled Julia Roberts to an Oscar nomination and superstardom. And um, I take no stance on this, but I should check it out at some point. Yeah, you should watch it. You should definitely watch it again. Uh, you know, the American public always knows exactly what's good and right. That's so true. we should definitely trust them. Uh, it, I think Three Men and a Baby came out around the same <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah, yeah they love, we love that too. It, it also really tries to lean so hard on Julia Roberts being charming and cute. And that's also a, a real miss because I actually think Julia Roberts is can be and is fairly charming and cute, especially this is her in her prime. Mm-hmm. She's gorgeous. And the wardrobe is actually pretty interesting to watch. Mm. It's pretty interesting to look at. The production design is pretty interesting to look at. But in the moments where there where there it seems to be some kind of improv happening, she is cute and adorable, but it's the, the parts that Gary Marshall's 
nasty little hands are on is terrible. And it's you're just thinking, what in the hell is this cartoon that I'm watching? What a shame. I'm getting the sense that you don't care for Gary Marshall movies. Yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> anyway, uh, that is – I'm so glad we didn't put that on a screen. I would have felt really, really irresponsible for that kind of behavior. I, I do think that this kind of propaganda is uh, is dangerous. Well, we pivot to my best friend's wedding next time, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> What have you been watching? Um, well, I've been watching a lot of stuff. I want to talk about two classics and two contemporary movies. I'll start with the classics. I've been filling in some of my classic Hollywood blind spots. And over the past, oh, several days, week or so, I've watched a lot of the films of Alfred Hitchcock's that I had never seen. There's before. a lot of them. There are a lot. And, I, you know, I, of course, have seen and, and love a lot of the big titles, but there were still some titles that eluded me. So I do want to talk about two of those, the ones I liked the most. First, I, I well, I, I guess I'll do this chronologically. Um, I watched... The 1956 remake of The Man Who Knew Too Much, Hitchcock remaking his own film, um, changing the plot. Um, of course, this one in t- uh, big widescreen technicolor yeah. with movie stars Jimmy Stewart and Doris Day. Um, they play a couple on vacation who get unwittingly uh, wrapped up in an assassination plot and their young son is kidnapped to compel them to keep their mouths shut. Um, it's beautiful, of course, yeah. beautifully shot, um, and some really, really wonderful moments of tension. I, I want to highlight the sequence that takes place at a symphony at the Royal Albert Hall in London, um, which is an extended sequence that is entirely dialogue-free, where uh, yeah. Doris Day and, and Jimmy Stewart are at this place where the assassination attempt is slated to happen and are frantically trying to figure out how to disrupt it. Um, Well, first identify the the assassin or the would-be assassin and then disrupt it. That sequence alone makes this one of um, Hitchcock's better efforts, although it's hard to say that given he made a lot of really great films. Uh, the, The second is an outright stone-cold fucking masterpiece uh, from 1963. No, yes, 1963, I think. I don't remember. Shit. Um, Marnie. I feel a retraction coming on. It could be 1963. It could be sometime else. Maybe The Birds was 63 and Marnie was 64. I don't remember. We're in the right right range here, that's for sure. Marnie is... Fucked up. Have you ever seen Marnie? I have, yeah. What a, what yeah. a nightmarish yeah. movie. But there is something about it, you know, obviously, as we have talked about in this podcast, this is the film and during which Hitchcock um, made several unwanted uh, and aggressive passes yeah, yeah, yeah. At, at Tippi Hedren. Uh, and we've, we've, we've been down this road yeah. uh, and, and, of course, came to a, a – a, Concrete decision. Yeah, sure. Right? Which is uh, throw everything that he ever made in the river and never speak of him again. Well, obviously, that's it's a little more complicated than that. Um, and the reason it's complicated is because, well, Marnie is a story of sexual obsession, right? right? And right. controlling men. Sean Connery's character in this is, I mean, just a horrible guy who um, 
snags himself a lady thief played by Tippi Hedren and essentially blackmails her into marriage. Yeah. Um, and, and there's something about this movie and, and maybe it's just the, the dark backstory behind the making of the movie. In addition yeah. to the, the darkness on screen, this is probably Hitchcock's darkest movie altogether because of what it's doing and the sort of psychosexual games that are on display in this thing. Some of his favorite subject matter. I wonder why. Sure. I mean, you know, he told us who he was, it turns out. And and Marnie is is prime evidence of that. But it's so good. I mean, there's something, you know, Tippi Hedren, God bless her, um, not an actress I was tremendously impressed by in The Birds. She's fine in The Birds. She's fine. But Marnie. Yeah. This her performance is almost like a primal scream. I'll tell you what it reminded me of, and this is intended as high praise from me. It reminded me of Cheryl Lee in Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. Mm-hmm. Um, just this, like this this primal twisted scream of a woman, you know, in duress under assault um, by these dark masculine forces in her life, and there's just something about that that I thought was so gripping and effective and twisted. Um, I mean, Marnie, a, a problematic masterpiece, I guess right, you can call right. it. Um, but boy, it really did a number on me. I loved it. Yeah. Well, it's a, spe- it's, it's a special film. And yeah. I mean, who knows if some of that texture is coming out because of what's happening while this film is being made and prior to it being made and probably a little bit after it being made. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think as we've said, <laughs> we're in agreement that he shouldn't have done that. <laughs> so, I mean, this similar thing with Kubrick's films, right? right? That we have this master who's abusive, not just to women, but just in general yeah. to his cast and crew and, that's part – I think that's part of what you're feeling and seeing on the screen when you're watching his work mm-hmm. is is it's somehow in the threads of this thing, right? That's certainly, I think, true of The Shining in a lot of ways um, and it seems to be true of this. I, I think I, it's know. true in Eyes Wide Shut. I think you – I think when you push people that hard. Well, I, I, the, the tension I get in Eyes Wide Shut is not – I mean, I, I guess it's related to the sort of dehumanizing repetition over and over again. We're shooting this movie for two years or whatever. But it's also, you know, Cruz and Kidman going through it themselves. Yeah, on, for on their... sure. But I also – I mean, which came first, right? Well, that's true. I mean, I don't – The chicken did, or the egg did here. Stanley Kubrick break up their marriage? I mean, maybe. I think the kind of trauma you put people through take after take after take and those kind of situations with that kind of content uh, – who knows? I wonder. It's on the screen no matter what no, – no matter how you cut it up, it's yeah. on the screen. Uh, Tom, reach out. Podcast at SidewalkFest.com. Let us what know. What do you mean, Tom? Tom. Nikki K. Well, reach out. Okay, Tom, email me. Nikki, email uh, Rachel. <laughs> just um, go ahead and call me. Yeah, or, yeah just call her. Uh, we'll drop Rachel's actual phone number at the end of this episode. Uh, Why not? Yeah, might as well. It's all over anyway. And the the two contemporary movies, um, I I watched Noah Baumbach's adaptation of White Noise on Netflix, which is a big, ambitious mess of a movie that I really enjoyed. That just released right onto Netflix. That's right. Um, Shame on you. uh, 
Adam Driver, Greta Gerwig, of Don course. Cheadle. Of course. Um, you know, the, 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 it does have some of the Bombach repertory players, but Bombach is adapting Don DeLillo's postmodern satire almost word for word, um, a very faithful adaptation of that very good novel. Um, in a lot of ways, does it completely translate that sort of ineffable DeLillo thing to the screen? No, it couldn't possibly. But a pretty good adaptation, a cer- certainly a watchable, very funny movie. And I just have to applaud the ambition for even trying. Um, so uh, a, a qualified recommendation. It's so fucking weird, this movie, mm. um, that, that it, almost is, it almost needs to be seen. And then I was um, – Excited to get a, a an advanced look at a movie I had been anticipating for a long time, another adaptation of a, of a great novel, um, Sarah Polly's new film, Women Talking, yeah. uh, which stars uh, Rooney Mara, Jesse Buckley, uh, Claire Foy, um, and in a very, very, very small role, Frances McDormand. She's not in it very much at gotcha. all, uh, but she's one of the producers of the film. Um, this is based on Miriam Teeves, uh, fairly contemporary novel and it's, you know, it's got kind of a heavy setup. Uh, it takes place in a Mennonite community, an isolated community, um, in the early 2010s. And, um, before the film begins, it has come out that the women of this community have been victimized repeatedly over and over by the men of this community who have been, utilizing um, livestock tranquilizers to knock them out and, well, rape them, essentially, mm-hmm. uh, at night, uh, brutally and violently, um, while dismissing the women's concerns. Oh, it was Satan. Oh, it was a demon. Oh, it's happening because you're not faithful enough. Well, when the film begins, they have caught the men in the act. The offenders have been arrested. The men of the colony have left the colony to go to the city to bail them out, leaving the women behind to discuss their next steps. Right. And so the bulk of the film is essentially a meeting in a hayloft between uh, like eight women with the sole male figure of the schoolteacher, August, played by Ben Wishaw taking notes of the meeting because the women of this colony have been purposefully kept illiterate and uneducated. He's the only one who can write. Um, and he's sympathetic, of course, to their, to their situation. So the, the film is a feature length sort of philosophical discussion of these women weighing their future. Do they stay behind and do nothing? Well, they've ruled that out as a possibility. Do they stay behind and fight back or do they leave into an uncertain but probably better future, even though their faith tells them if they leave the colony, they will be rejected from the kingdom of heaven. Um, and so it's it's not only a philosophical and spiritual discussion, um, but eventually turns into just magnificent high drama from you know many of sure. the most talented actresses working right, right now, um, digging into some really profound dialogue and um you know the the movie almost feels like like a parable almost like a like a hashtag mm-hmm. me too yeah. era sort of story um but but it transcends that much like you know um a, a not very similar at all movie um this year did uh, Todd Field's 
tar. Um, it, it deals with these concerns in, in a way that's not hectoring or lecturing. Um, it is very natural, very compelling dramatically, um, and uses these contemporary issues to really, um, dig into character and dig into, um, philosophy and dig into, uh, some really, really, um, gripping stuff. I, I loved women talking a lot. Uh, I love Sarah Polly in general. We've talked about her previous, uh, fiction film, take this waltz, I, a movie I know you don't like very much. She also directed away from her in, in 2007, I think, uh, with Julie Christie, a beautiful movie. And my favorite of her movies is still the 2013 documentary stories. We tell right. about her own, uh, family. Um, but this this is probably her best narrative feature um, so far, and uh, a really really well done uh, adaptation of a great book. So uh, I know it sounds heavy. The movie it is about, of course, some really difficult subject matter, but it never feels like weighed with portent. You know, it's not a it's not a slog. It's not a depressing march. There is humor in it. That, I mean, and just seeing these actresses do their thing. Um, it makes it all worthwhile. So strong recommendation there for, for women talking when that opens in theaters in the area. And it should um, be playing roughly around the same time you're hearing this, I think. So check it out. Um, that's what I've been watching. We think that's going to be an Oscar nomination? Yeah, it's yeah. probably. That's what it sounds like. Well, thank, thank you. you. Oh, Jinx. Oh, Jinx. I got to buy you a Coke. Oh, man. We really screwed that one up. Hey, it doesn't matter. We're what? your own personal cinematic Miriam Margulies and Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> now, okay. Do you know this? All Miriam goes after everybody. So what did she say about Well, Arnold? this, this, she's got some specific information okay, about. Okay, all right. I'm curious And so I think that, I think that this is real and true. Okay. So, Mary Margulies claims that Schwarzenegger farted in her face. Oh, I heard this. I heard this. <laughs> Do you not believe it? Oh, I 100% believe it. That dude eats so much, like, meat and protein. Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, man. She, well, here's the here's the quote that I found, right, uh, from the article that uh, I'll, I'll actually just read to you from the article here. She claims that she's, oh, well, it claims, the article claims she's never been afraid to say what she thinks about anyone. No, she has not. She's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. In July, she revealed, and I don't know when this article was written, so this could have been July 1999 for all I know, was revealed that um, in her in her opinion of the bodybuilder turned actor uh, was, I'm sorry, I'm all over the place here. Um, she told the podcast, I've got news for you. Can we get her on this podcast? She was on a podcast called I've Got News For You. I'm sure we could. She said when she was filming End of Days with him in 1999. Oh, I forgot she was in End of Days. What that, a movie. That he farted. This is the quote. He farted in my face. <laughs> now, I fart, of course. I do. But I don't fart in people's faces. <laughs> are you Are you still with me? I am. Uh, he did it on purpose, right in my face. <laughs> and then she goes on to say, I was playing Satan's sister. This quote is so good. Let me just back up again. I was playing Satan's sister, and he was hitting me. So he got me in a position where I couldn't escape, and I was lying on the floor, 
and he just farted. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't in the movie. <laughs> oh, it wasn't. <laughs> that clashes with the tone of the like <laughs> Satan come back to earth. It was in a pause of us shooting. Oh my god. Yeah. And I've never forgiven him. <laughs> and then apparently the podcasters kept on about this and asked her if she enjoyed it. No, I didn't enjoy it at all. I thought he was full of himself and farting on me was inappropriate. <laughs> oh, you know, I, I agree with you, Miriam. That is inappropriate. I have to tell you, though, uh-huh. in this instance, while I would never want to be Schwarzenegger, I would so rather be the farter than the farted on. So I'm going to I'm going to request that I please be Schwarzenegger. <laughs> uh, Miriam Margulies, <laughs> famously a, um, I don't know, a four foot ten lesbian. <laughs> and yet. You're going with Schwarzenegger. Fair enough. I mean, just in just in the context of this story, and I think she'll have my back. Yeah, I really I'm sure do. She would. I'm sure she would. Man, what could be worse than playing Satan's sister and having a giant Schwarzenegger ass fart on you? It's freaking terrible. <laughs> uh, one thing that could be worse is actually watching the movie End of Days, which That's true. is not very good, That's I have true. to say. Um, though I still think it's kind of cool because, hey, I like uh, dumb Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. I'm a simple bitch. Yeah, you liked Avatar. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Side Talks podcast. Thanks to Batwell Studios. Yeah, thank you, Brad. You're welcome. Uh, we've been very silly today, so uh, not sorry, as silly sorry as, slash you're welcome. Not as silly as Arnold Schwarzenegger, clearly. <laughs> yeah, clearly. <laughs> Uh, why don't you come see a movie with us at the Sidewalk Cinema? To do that, you can buy tickets online at SidewalkFest.com. There you can also see what we're showing, when we're showing it. And hey, if you want to keep up with that latest news, why don't you follow us on social media? Our handle on all of the things that we do is at Sidewalk Film. Although I don't know how much longer we'll be on Elon Musk's Twitter. Um Probably, do we even do we tweet? that ship sinks? Do I we guess. tweet? Do we do that? Uh, we probably tweet. I I got off Twitter. I got Nick off Twitter. Adrian, Nick Adrian does our social media and our marketing. Nick Adrian, do we tweet? If we don't tweet, let's tweet while the tweeting's good. Well, well the tweeting's not good. The tweeting's been bad. <laughs> let's be like Schwarzenegger. I, I got off Twitter. I am happy. My brain is slowly healing. Did you get off because of Elon? I did, actually. Elongated muskrat I got drove off you off of Twitter. I got off because, metaphorically, uh, Elon has farted in all of our faces. That's true. So, um, Ooh, doesn't, do you, doesn't that elongated muskrat look like somebody who would fart in your face and think it was funny? Yeah. That's what that dude. That's what that dude looks like. I mean, he essentially spent forty four billion dollars to do that. Yeah, that's so, true. You know, how much does he have left? Just a handful of billion. I I don't know. I don't know. Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. And uh, Twitter's bad. And I'm glad to be done with it. Um, and uh, yeah. So, but hey, I'm still recording podcasts, and my brain is still broken in any number of other ways. Yep. So don't even worry yep. about it. It was that frame rate in Avatar; it just drove you right through it, it, the floor. Chopping off Bye. fingers. Batwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words, our expertise. <laughs>